good afternoon, America. Welcome to Carry the Loads Lessons from the Front. This is the podcast that seeks to inspire us all to do just 1% more for our country in honor of the 1% who defend us from the bad guys every day. I am your host, Todd Boating, and today's guest is fellow Marine. This, In this case, not fellow Marine sniper, but fellow Marine, Brian Marin, who just happens to be a sniper. Brian Marin, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much, Todd, for, for having me on the show. Uh, I'm excited. Hopefully I live up to the guests you've had on here previously. I'm always humbled when I get a chance to do something like this because you've had some amazing people on the show and you work for an amazing organization called Carry the Load, which I'm proud to be an ambassador of. I love it. I love the whole concept and idea behind it. When I first heard about it, I was instantly hooked. It made sense to me. And so I've, I've been a part of that for a few years now, which is I'm fortunate to do. So thanks for having me on, man. Well, if it wasn't for great champions uh, like you of this uh, this wonderful cause, then unfortunately, a lot of our uh, brethren who have made the ultimate sacrifice, their their names would be uh, would be forgotten. And so we we appreciate what you do in that regard. And um, you know, for those of you who are not accustomed to uh, uh, to seeing long haired Marines, this is kind of an unusual thing. I've never really had this kind of interaction, uh, especially being on this side of the hair. And I'm catching grief left and right. <laughs> like, man, what is going on? You know, and I'm like, well, honestly, this is the longest my hair has ever been. <laughs> so, so this is, you know, some people, you know, when they get to be this age, their midlife crisis is a Corvette. Uh, for me, it was long hair. So yeah, yeah, it's better I'm, on I'm, you though. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. My my wife, uh, you know, she actually appreciates the shorter hair. And right now the beard's kind of getting shaggy. I have to go get, I'm actually getting it cleaned up today. Um, cause again, the wife goes, I'm, I, I can't see your face anymore. So I don't like that. So I got to clean it up and it, it kind of goes in phases, you know, uh, from short to long to wherever, or what, whatever area of operations I happen to be in at the time as well too. So. Okay. So for those of you, uh, just joining, if you, uh, if you're 10 minutes late, fashionably late today, then you didn't miss anything. Cause we got started just a tad late, but I want to jump right into it. Brian, you are a former Marine sniper. Sniper is a uh, is a term that that can be used kind of loosely uh, in the civilian world for a lot of different uh, uh, in a lot of different ways. But let's just call it what it is. Your job, like a lot of us when we were in, although it was to kill, your job was to kill very very specifically, and. I like to think, though, that, you know, although killing is a horrible thing, sometimes it is for the greater good. How did you become a sniper? So well, it's a great question. Um, one, a, a Marine sniper is a Marine highly skilled in field craft and marksmanship who delivers long range precision fire at selected targets from concealed positions. So that, that's the textbook definition that I still rattled off as soon as you said that in my head uh, from from. When I went through First Marine Division Scout Sniper School in 2005, so um, I obviously had to learn that a few times because it stuck with me 16 years later. So, um, yeah. So, what got me into? So, well, well, hold on. Before yeah. before you even go into all of that, I, I mean, I, I know I asked the question, and I'm going to stop you before you give me the answer I was asking for. I want you to slow down and say that again. So that that the person out there who's not familiar with it, they can kind of break it down. Go. So a Marine Scout Sniper is a Marine highly skilled in field craft and marksmanship who delivers long range precision fire at selected targets from concealed positions in support of combat operations. And that's just a textbook. That's what, uh, if you wanted a definition under, if you looked up Merriam-Webster definition of Marine Sniper, that's what it would be. So now that term then means a lot because technically one of your actually, you know, the, the main things that you do is collecting and reporting of information. So, so reconnaissance is really, and surveillance is, is really what you do the, the majority of you're the eyes and ears of whatever the command, whoever the commander is that you're working under or for. So that's why actually uh, even a, a long time ago, and we still kind of kept the name, a lot of uh, scout sniper platoons in the Marine Corps, that's their name is scout sniper platoon, but they're referred to as a stay platoon, which stood for surveillance and target acquisition. So um, it's actually, you, you'd think that's even, like kind of more politically correct, 
way of saying it, but it's actually the, the older way of saying it. The newer way was the scout sniper platoon. The older way was the stay platoon. So it's kind of interesting how those words change, but, but the majority of what you're there to do is really just in, you know, IPB intelligence preparation of the battlefield by doing reconnaissance surveillance, checking out what's going on. You're that eyes and ears for that supported unit that you're supporting. So I kind of teased everybody, uh, you know, if, if they saw the uh, the 32nd promotional video, I, I, I kind of teased them a little bit and, and talked about killing for the, you know, for good. But the last part of what you said actually does tie into that, because the last part of what you said was in if, if I, I mean, I can't quote it like you did, <laughs> in defense of. Uh, so, you know, in, in support of, you know, in support of combat operations. Yeah. In support so of combat operations. So a guy like me, I was, I was a, a normal trigger puller. And so I'm moving through, you know, through the bush or I'm moving through the fields. I have no idea what's going on up there. Your job though, is to kind of sit back behind me and look out ahead and make sure there are no bad guys that are about to take me out. Correct. Yeah, I mean that's a another use of of what a, a capability of a sniper, another use that you can use for them, you know, as some sort of overwatch for some other element, and that's that is another way you can be utilized and and employed. And you know, if specifically within the Marine Corps, you know, you would actually be part of. There's there's a number of missions, so you could be part of. You know, one thing I did when I was on a MU, a Marine Expeditionary Unit, was part of. Back then, it was called the Maritime Special Purpose Force. So I was part of a reconnaissance and surveillance element that would insert, let's say, a few days prior to the direct action platoon who is going to hit an objective, right? So there's some sort of a objective that's going to be taken. We're going to go in there a couple of days prior. So we're going to do that reconnaissance surveillance, and we're going to set up in a firing position to help support your operation as you come along on the beach and hit whatever this objective is, right? Uh, or from a helo, whatever the insert method is, we're there to support it. And then we're actually there to help, you know, take out those high value targets, take out those different uh, enemy positions that are going to uh, cause either a delay for your, that raid force, you know, so we're there to support that. It's really what it is. So, so yes, that in, in effect, what, what ended up happening in a lot of places like Iraq and Afghanistan as well, besides just doing a typical sniper mission of whatever that is, it would be, okay, so an infantry platoon is doing a patrol in this area tomorrow, or uh, they're doing a sweep of this neighborhood. We're going to go out there the night before at a minimum, and we're going to set up in some sort of area where we can have a little bit of overwatch and cover that movement and maybe help control some of the, the chaos that may ensue. Okay, so I, I interrupted you, and I think it's pertinent now. How did you get into this? Uh, that's a good question. So I got into this because I'd been shot at quite a few times by enemy snipers, and I went, you know what? This is uh, I, I like this idea better than just sitting out here uh, in the open. So my first deployment to Iraq in 2004 to Ramadi in the Al Anbar province was uh, um, as a, a grunt. I was in uh, Echo Company, Second Battalion, Fifth Marines, 0311. And it was for anyone who served in the El Ambar province of Iraq, especially back then, you know what I'm talking about. It was the it was the Wild West at the time, especially um, a place like Ramadi that kind of didn't wasn't wasn't as well known as places like Fallujah and stuff like that. But and in 2004, wasn't really well known at all. And, and we were everyone who served in that AO during that time was in combat a, a, a lot. So. I saw a lot of ground combat before I became a sniper, but I had always been interested in that before I went in the Marine Corps. It's just, I was told when I went in, you know, I wanted to go to Iraq. I wanted to deploy. So I say the fastest way is you go right over here and you're going to get to a, uh, you're going to go over to an infantry battalion and you're going to deploy real quick. And that's exactly what happened. And so I had that experience on the ground and, you know, it just, I felt the effects of what a sniper did. And I just went, and I saw our snipers operating and helped them a couple of times, you know what I'm saying? And, and worked alongside them and went, you know what, this seems like a better way to do things than, than the way I'm doing it right now. It just, I had a natural kind of attraction towards that working in a small team, uh, highly independent, uh, kind of get to work your own mission sometimes. And the whole element of you're going to go out there, you're going to hide, you're going to sneak around. I mean, it's just like, it's what I did growing up, right? You grow, you grow up doing that stuff with your buddies. I just never grew out of it. So that I was generally very attracted to that type of a role. So you said that you felt the effects of it. Mm -hmm. So as a straight leg grunt, 
Okay. And, and for those who don't understand, when we say a straight leg grunt, there's different aspects of the infantry. And um, the most basic form is the Marine rifleman. What kind of effects are you referencing that you felt when you came under sniper fire? So, you know, I, I had several incidents. One was literally just taking a knee, holding security out on a street. We had coming back from doing this movement and, you know, I'm behind this concrete barricade with just my head poking out. I'm looking around. We're just, we had taken contact earlier, but we're kind of thought everything was sort of done at that point. And there was a literally a light pole right next to me and I just hear that bang. And then the round had hit that light pole right near me. I mean, it was right next to me, which means that guy who took that shot had me in his sights and made a bad wind call or whatever happened. You know what I mean? And like, I felt that immediately, like this guy was literally shooting directly at me and I have absolutely no idea where that shot came from. So psychologically, that's, that's terrifying, right? You're like, it's one thing getting shot at where you can shoot back, you know, uh, where you know where this person is. But when you look out into a city and you see every open window, every dark alleyway, all of this negative space out there that you're like, they could literally be hiding in any one of those spots. You feel that immediately. And, and that was at me. And then I also had uh, someone in, in, in my platoon. Uh, he was shot by a sniper and it went thankfully he's fine. He actually got, it was medically discharged from Marine Corps and was, uh, um, got into law enforcement out on the West coast and was, was fine, but he was literally shot in the face right here in the nose. And it came out his neck and it was so bad that we actually thought he got shot in the neck. No one even saw the little bullet hole right in, in the face. And what you're looking at right there, that's a perfect shot. If I was taking a headshot on someone is hit them directly. You want to aim kind of right, right for that. It's called the T zone in that area. But because of the angle he was at, it didn't go into his brain and his head. He was bent over and it went through his neck and came out and he, he survived and we got a medevac and out of there. But, you know, when you, you have that feeling of just, there's someone shooting at you and there's just, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you have, that's what it feels like. You're just so frustrated and angry and you got to stay low and you don't know where it's going to come from next. Like that's what that you don't even have to be a good sniper to have that effect on the battlefield. That's how powerful they are. And that's why you had things like, you know, especially in the ALM, our province of Iraq and other places, you had these insurgent groups, you know, they had rewards out for anyone who was a sniper. If you were a sniper, an American over there, like they had these, you know, bounties supposedly on everyone's head and, you know, they would pay extra to their guys if they were able to kill if they, you know, a, an American sniper, because they just terrorize the battlefield. And it's, it's a very, very powerful thing that a commander has at his disposal and that you get to do as an individual operator. Yeah. In, in some ways, um, it's probably more impactful yeah. to not kill, but yet wound or scare. Um, I mean, cause I'm sure when that, when that round went off near your head, I mean, cause let, let's, let's be honest, one person dead, does not change the course of a, of a war, you know, unless it's, you know, somebody at a, uh, at a strategic level. Right. But, you know, taking your friend out, seeing that, oh my God, he just got hit, not knowing if he's going to survive all the things that go through your head now compound it with the other aspect of war where these people have, you know, you guys have families back home. Mm -hmm. Am I going to get to see my kid? Now you start making decisions, correct me if I'm wrong, that can be absolutely influenced by something in such a negative way that it now harms the guy to your left and right. It, you're you're 100% right, Todd. And, and it's such a massive impact more than people realize because add on top of that, um, what we call the, the, in, in the human behavior terms of what I do now for a living is the, the, either the, the boogeyman effect or the Bigfoot effect. So when that stuff starts to happen, everyone starts talking when someone gets shot, you know, and Marines and soldiers and sailors were getting killed, you know, by, by enemy snipers. So then the stories start to grow. Then it's, Hey, this guy turns out, you know, he's some former, you know, uh, uh, you know, Chechen sniper that's been killing Russians since he was 12 and he's six foot, 
six inches, you know, 200 pounds and tattoo, like the stories start to grow. And that was the story of the Juba sniper that came out and, and got really, you know, this, this, this Juba sniper that was killing everyone all over Baghdad. Well, it wasn't one person. It was a whole bunch of people. And you know what? It, it wasn't some highly trained, you know, uh, uh, highly organized, you know, person. It was literally the, these guys that were given a little bit of instruction and they weren't a thousand yards away. They weren't shooting at us with some high-tech weaponry. Um, they were shooting at us with what they had. And guess what? They were getting within a hundred yards or less of us. And they were using basic urban masking and social camouflage. They're using things like vehicle-borne sniper platforms where they put a little taxi thing on top and they park next to all the cars and they pop the taillight out, shoot us from inside the trunk, 80 yards away. And what is everyone doing? They look up and out when a sniper comes in. So they don't expect someone to get that close. So it, it was a low level of sophistication and a high level of organization, which is a really, really dangerous opponent. And they gained access to us by, by getting nice and close because proximity negates skill, you know? So if you want to shoot someone from 1800 meters away, you got to have a really, really good weapon system. And you got to have a lot of training to do that. These guys didn't have it. You know what? They didn't need it. And now that fear spreads. And now what happens now we're hunting something like Bigfoot. Sorry, everyone, but I don't think Bigfoot really exists. If you got any of your <laughs> listeners or viewers out there, you know what? Uh, I'm 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 not uh, I'm not not going to sway you from your beliefs. But the idea is is it grows. Those stories grow over time, and the next thing you know, it gets larger and larger. And now we're you hunting. Know, that's, we don't know how to hunt. That was somewhat portrayed in uh, in American Sniper with with Chris Kyle. You know the uh, um, you know the uh, his adversary in, in the movie American Sniper. Uh, was just what you described. Now, I, I don't know if that was real or not. and Maybe no one does. I but- would not. This is nothing to do with that story, but I would not put too much weight on anything told through the lens of Hollywood. So I, 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 I completely, <laughs> yeah. completely agree. But one, one of the things, though, that you, that you brought up that I never really thought about is, um, you know, in the, in the business world, um, I, or I shouldn't just say in the business world, in life, in human behavior, of which you're an expert, um, we have a tendency to project onto others how we believe something will go down or how we believe the other side acts or reacts. So for instance, I'm in a business uh, that, that's very customer service driven. And bad news is something we don't like to deliver. And so what we do is Rather than deliver that that news as fact and as the way it is, we project on that other side how they're going to take it, and we either avoid it or we try to manipulate the scenario to something that's more favorable. In the case you just described, we get shot out. We're projecting yeah. onto the enemy how they would do it because that's how we're trained. Exactly. To think. No, I never you- thought of it. That's a neat. That's, that gets into a lot of just basic cognition biases that all people have, but that's a great one. I mean, you just said you relate it to your own life of your family or personal or business life where that happens. Well, why do you think some of these messages from, from all our politicians get that that's exactly what they do every time I go, okay, well, this isn't going to good. Let's, let's make sure we say it like this. And and then all of a sudden, everyone goes. Even when they're they're not lying, it comes across that way. <laughs> or even when they're, you know, what I mean, like it. So it it creates this turbidity. We don't understand it. Rather than just coming out and saying, like, here's what we know. This is it. This is all we know that we can prove. We don't want to. We don't want to hear that. We want this. And we brought up too. That's. I mean, that's basic. You know, observer expectancy bias. I, I observing this. I expect certain things to happen. You know, based on my observation, and I bring in all of only what I know. My file folders, my past experiences. So same thing. If I'm a sniper. You know, I was a Marine Corps trained sniper, and then went through other courses in the Marine Corps as well for sniper. You know, the urban sniper course and all this stuff. So. I saw the world that way. I didn't know like, Hey, you can do this. Your perfect example was, uh, um, we had, um, uh, some, a sniper team in Ramadi was killed and, uh, there, some of their weapons and equipment were taken. And so they had one of the Marine Corps sniper rifles an M 48 one sniper rifle with fixed 10 power inertial scope on top of it. Okay. That weapon system is what you have to qualify at schoolhouse with out to a thousand yards. And, and it's a minute of angle accuracy. So your shots will be within 10 inches at a thousand yards. You have to qualify out to that, you know, out, out to that distance. Well, that was a little too complicated for them. So they just 
pop that scope right off and tack welded a little Tasco little four power scope on top of it because that's what they can use. And you're going, wait, wait, what? It's like, yeah, I, I would never do that. I would never think of it that way. And that's the guy that's coming in within 100, 200 yards away because he doesn't have the ability to shoot a thousand yards. So why would he? I'm thinking, all right, he's got one of our rifles. He's going to be out there doing the same thing we're doing, but, but they're not. I mean, it's, it's so we only know what we know. And if we don't shift our perspective, which is really, really hard to do, you know, everyone says, yes. see the world through the enemy's eyes. You got to see it through the walk a mile in their shoes. Okay. Well, that's a great saying. That's a platitude. How do you actually do that? Psychologically to take another person's perspective is very, very difficult to do. So you, you really have to kind of get to know your enemy, as they say, but, but what does that really mean? Do things their ways. And one of the ways we did that was um, we did what we call like a red cell analysis. I'm sure people have heard the term before, but we would go out to different you know, outside of different Marine, you know, uh, cops, combat outposts or, or anywhere where there's, uh, you know, Marines at a fixed position. And I would go out and I would set up, like I was trying to shoot into the, into the compound. Some of them had good security. Some of them, I would take photos through my scope, you know, with a, with a camera of a Marine standing out in the smoke pit, you know, having a cigarette. Right. And I'm, I'm out in town doing this. I'm looking into the base and I have to come back and say, Hey, look, this is what I found out. So we need to move some of this cami netting. We need to put up barriers here. You need to change your security posture because you can see right into there. If you're only looking out, right, that's how you see the world. No one's looking back in at you. So it's, it's changing that perspective is just, you know, I mean, it, it opens the world to you. Okay. So you explained how you got into being a sniper and, and that, that, that's, that's an interesting way to get into it. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Hey, I don't like being on this side, so I'm going to go to the other side. So now you go through your training. I'm assuming uh, y'all are still going to Fort Huachuca. Um, no, we, was, uh, I went to first Marine division scout sniper school in camp Pendleton. So, okay. Okay. Um, and so then you end up back over in country. Mm -hmm. You've been through all your training. You, I mean, I'm sure you, at this point, you've pulled the trigger before and there's a good chance that you hit somebody on the other side. But the very first time that you're, that you're in that position and you've got somebody squarely in your crosshairs, were you asking yourself, can I really do this? So I'll give you... I'll give you my perspective was, like I said, that first deployment was very, very kinetic, as they say, chaotic deployment. We were getting in gunfights all the time. I mean, it was just, if you were there and I don't care what unit you were in or what your job was, if you were driving the, the chow truck, you saw a lot of combat, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I had that experience in a chaotic sense. So I'll flash forward to then 2007 when I'm back in Ramadi. So it's a completely different time and place now. This is during the Al Ambar awakening. Um, we're starting to make some headway. A lot of the Sunni tribes have then turned against what was um, originally uh, uh, ISI and then Al Qaeda in Iraq, all those groups, because you had um, some some folks, uh, what was his name? The Jordanian guy already, uh, Zarqawi uh, was running that and he was going around killing, you know, sheikhs and other tribal leaders. And they were like, well, we don't like the Americans being here, but we definitely don't want that. So they ended up coming over and siding with us. And we started this whole process, right? So it was a different time and place. And there was, you know, we were out on a mission and we're set up, uh, we'd go to a home at that time for as long as we can, 24 to 48 hours. When it got into really, really hot summer months, you could only bring so much water and stuff. So, and exhaustion would set in, but, but we were out there for a couple of days and city's like dead quiet. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, it's just that, that hot, you're just sweat through everything. Uh, you're in this house, you've got your, your position set up where you can see, um, at this point we had different tactics of how we would do it. This one had a family in it, but they had like a connected house. They were staying in it. So we just made sure we kept an eye and said, all right, you know, don't go anywhere. You know, it was kind of, it was hit or miss on how we did it, but that's a whole nother story. Um, and this one was just, like I said, it's dead quiet. So we're looking out, it's just nothing nothing all day long. I mean, literally at this point, we're like, man, there's not even a car on the street. Like what's going on? So there's something odd. There's something up. We just don't know what it is yet. Right. Then all of a sudden we hear 
one burst of fire, not far away. Like this has got to be within a couple hundred meters. Then another burst, like a hundred meters away. And then another burst. And then all of a sudden, like the city erupts and we're like, okay, here we go. It's on. I mean, it's on. And then just like you talk about, there we are. I'm, I'm on the gun, right? Waiting. I'm checking because we don't know the situation, but we're not getting shot at, but there is a lot of gunfire, right? So at that point, because of all of our experience and how many times we had been shot at, it wasn't, we weren't like super amped up yet. We're just waiting to see what happens. And what do I see? Guy coming out with an AK-47 and he's poking his head around the, you know, around the corner, just looking around the wall, looking around the wall. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And he wasn't looking at us, but I didn't know what he was looking at. So right there, you're looking through the scope about there's gunfire going off. He has an AK-47. He's not in any type of police or military uniform, right? But at the same time, it's it's Iraq. Everyone's got yeah. an AK-47, right? That doesn't mean anything on its own. And he starts to bring up that rifle. And you're having that. That's right there because the situation was not there that i wasn't presented with some obvious target here i w it wasn't someone shooting it wasn't someone attacking me it wasn't that it was just dude, am i going to kill this guy am i going to end this guy's life right now and then i'm having this doubt about it not about killing someone but w what if i do this and and it's this guy didn't deserve to die and and i get in a whole bunch of trouble for it right well what what's that because you you have that power and that authority you have to be the one to make those decisions on the ground and i sat there for just a second just i mean literally finger on the trigger i'm thinking about it right now i'm like literally sweating from the heat just thinking about this story and i'm looking at the guy and nothing about him said i'm about to go fight someone i'm trying to kill someone just nothing was there and that's why i was so hesitant and he picked up that ak and he started firing it in the air and then we heard more and more and more turns out Iraq just won a soccer game and everyone in that city, everyone in that city was who had any access to a television was watching that game. And when they won, it was celebration time and they celebrated by firing AKs into the air. So this guy who had no idea that I was even there, had no idea I was looking at him through the scope of a rifle, almost died, almost bled out on the street because he was celebrating a soccer game. I mean, like, it, it's just all the emotions are coming back right now. I'm feeling it. You're just like, holy crap. Like, that stuff to me was always is always more difficult than you're in a gunfight and people are trying to kill you. Like that's pretty, pretty primal, pretty basic. Um, and if you have the appropriate training, you can get through those situations when it's something in there where you're not sure when that little bit of doubt creeps in, Oh man, that's, that's when that heart starts racing. That's when all those thoughts through, go through your head. Okay. Did he meet the rules of engagement? What has he actually done? Can I articulate my decision of why I made it at this time? Because you remember everything you, this isn't you you are trained to a standard which means you have to operate at that standard which means you're going to be held to that standard right it's a very very different standard than than other folks on some other mission you you are right here and you were expected like you knew or should have known something was going on so if i had pulled the trigger there this guy i would have killed this guy i mean we, i would i would have left i would have been living with that the rest of my life that he wanted to i killed him for celebrating the win of a soccer game i mean so that's that was like those that situations is, to me or that is unbelievable. Okay. And so for for you know, for everybody watching this, we haven't talked about this story. I didn't know where you were going. I didn't and remember I'm, that story till you just asked me that question. <laughs> so that's why I'm sweating right now. I mean, uh, I'm like I'm just getting, you know, I'm like, oh my God, he's getting ready to take this guy's life, but yet it was just the opposite you gave him his life back and he was, he was euphoric over this, over a game, but that's what it means to them in the midst of, of their country being torn apart. You, his life was in your fingertip and literally thank God you made the right decision. It, it, I mean, he, he was just, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, can you fault, someone for pulling the trigger on that one i mean given their experience and what they thought was happening you know i was discussed with people like you know having your life you know being in impending danger and feeling like you're in, in impending danger or no different to your brain whether or not you are actually in a life or death situation your brain doesn't know the difference if you think that you are if you feel that you are then you are and you will act accordingly so if you don't have that that balance that counterbalance to go wait a minute here let's pause a second are we absolutely sure but then everyone will tell you you know hesitation kills and then you could get but 
but not in this situation. So but it could have, it could have easily gone the other way. Yep. And, and that hesitation in, and I know there are situations and you may have come across one. You may have been involved in one of those situations where you called it wrong the other way. And it led to one of your own men being harmed. And, and, and so, I mean, there's, man, I, there's gotta be a little bit of God factor there in some ways that you're, you just, sometimes you gotta just let it go and, and you follow your instinct as best you can. But I mean, let's be honest, had you killed him and you would have been wrong, every manual would have pointed to you were in the right, but public opinion. So this, this gets into understanding the, the, the tactical operational and strategic level uh, um, implications of your actions, right? So, so every, every tactical decision you make has an operational certainty and a strategic unknown. And that, that's a quote by, by, by Greg Williams, my, my business partner. And, and what that means is things were going well at that point for the most part, meaning we were working with the local Iraqis at the time to secure and pacify the Helambar province of Iraq, which is no easy task, right? What if me killing this 15-year-old kid what, what chain of events would that have set off? What if, what if I did pull that trigger and he died and he was the, uh, he was the local, you know, governor's son or, or nephew. And, and he was, that's going to come out as what he was executed by a Marine sniper for celebrating a soccer game. How are we're never going to get that back. You, you can't unring that bell. There's no coming back. I mean, how are you going to, I mean, that that's the thing is that because of the way, war is now it that happens you those those decisions at that ground level have major strategic impacts and 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 that's uh it's a lot to put on i think i was 24 at the time or even younger for some guys you know what i mean so so it's it's a you're you're but you're a product of your training and your life experience and and so you can train to that standard so that, that, that was that was a phenomenal story because again it, it, it gave me a, a slightly different perspective than I was expecting but um, it went the other way too where you did actually pull the trigger no so you want to even tell tell more stories um yeah man like I, I it, it's it's not um, I, I don't know it's not what people think I guess I would say so this this goes into to my experiences, what happened more so on my first deployment were far crazier. My first deployment as just a grunt in Iraq versus being a sniper operating because it's such a different, it's just so such a different world almost. Um, it's a different feeling. And plus I had those experiences to build on. Um, I, I never had an issue, we'll say, in those situations because, you know, I it's it's... I was a product of training. I knew I was making really informed decisions. I, I did made my best judgment call every single time. Um, I saw mistakes that people made, errors in judgment that were not, they thought they saw one thing and it, it was not that thing that they saw. And, and maybe some people died that, that didn't need to die. But from that perspective, you, you, any person in that situation would have made the same call that that individual did. That is really tough. And those situations always stuck with me. And, but also you, you understand that like you're there to do a job and that's what you signed up for. That's what you trained for. That's what you deployed for. And and that's what you think about doing. So, you know, I have a different approach to it sometimes, you know, is, is almost like when I step out on a mission, like I'm, I'm, I'm never coming back. Now, I don't mean that in the way some people would take it, meaning I'm not thinking about anyone back home. I'm not thinking about this. I'm, not, I'm thinking so focused just on that mission that nothing else in the world matters because I may die on this mission and I don't want to, right? There's a, all humans have a natural aversion to want to die, right? We, we want to survive. But once I step out, like I'm not coming back. That actually allows me to make much better judgment calls than thinking about something else and going, oh, what if this over there? Hey, none of that shit matters. Excuse me. Sorry. None of that stuff matters. Um, um, we're here to do a job. And 
Now, dealing with that stuff later on is a whole nother uh, uh, discussion, but but it, it it'll 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 come back to bite you if you're if you don't know how to process that stuff. Um, but but I I never never had a had an issue with those things. It wasn't something that it was like I I was there. The people I was fighting against were trying to kill me, and yeah. they would have done the same thing. And and I actually had a same thing that happened or another thing that happened to that deployment that. It was kind of an eye-opening experience for me. Just how eye-opening it was didn't really hit me till kind of years later when I really thought about it. But one of the things I did was um, we had this kind of there was a, a Iraqi commando unit right of the Iraqi army um, that was kind of we we were doing some work with and we were at one of the company FOBs forward operating bases we were operating out of in the south part of Ramadi. These guys were down. There's a squad of Iraqis, and they're they're great. They're awesome, right? And so the thing was, I was gonna do some training with them. They were gonna run some ops together and see what happens. They were kind of on loan, and like they were, you know, just like kind of got thrown on us. And I'm like, okay, well, who are these guys? I'm talking through an interpreter. I was like, well, who who gave you the training? And they were like, oh, the Navy. And I was like, oh, okay, well. So the one part of the Navy that's over here doing any type of training with a commando unit, got it. Like, so these guys are probably pretty good to go. They're trained by the SEALs. You know what I mean? So I'm like, okay, I know what that means. So I'm working with them, talking with them. And, you know, we do a little bit of training together, kind of build some rapport. I show them some stuff they've never seen before. So they thought it was cool. We're taking this break and I'm just talking. One of the guys started talking to me because they, they asked like, where are you from in the United States? And I said, I'm originally from Chicago. And they're like, oh man, yeah. And they started, to, oh, Chicago, bang, bang. And I was like, that's, <laughs> that's everyone's response. I was like, dude, we're in Iraq. Come on. Like it's, and they were like, yeah, dude, it's no different. And I was like, all right, all right, easy. So, so, uh, so they, they asked me, you know, and I asked this guy, where, where are you from? He's like, I'm actually originally, um, He's like, I, I'm from Ramadi. I'm from like the north part. He's like, I'm normally based out of Baghdad, but like I'm, I'm, I have family here and stuff. And I was like, no, no kidding. This is in 2007. And so I'm like, you know, this is all through the interpreter. And I'm, and I'm like, well, well, where were you a few years ago? Where were you in like 2004? What were you doing then? And he's like, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was fighting the Americans. And he, I don't know if this dude was messing with me. I don't know how you know, if that was true, but he looked right at me and said it. And I was like, Oh, okay. That was me. I mean, I, now the likelihood of the two of us shooting at each other, I don't know, but, but meaning if that's true and he was doing that, that was me and my unit. We were there at that time. So I'm sitting here like, that's a lot for a 24 year old to take in to go. Okay. Um, well, I'm really getting a real street lesson in how geopolitics works, right? And how how these this is one gray area, and and you, you're literally your your enemy one day is someone you might be fighting alongside. And I sat there and just took it all in, and he didn't seem to have a problem with it. And we had a further conversation. He's like, "Look, like we didn't ask for any of this, but you know what? You guys aren't going anywhere, and I don't like what these guys are doing to my city. And they're attacking my family. They're attacking the tribal elders. They're attacking the mosque. They're doing this." you guys are causing problems, but I know that's not your intention. So I, I, I want to fight these people. And I was like, all right, man, like high five. We can, we can, we can go fight uh, uh, Al Qaeda in Iraq together. Like, let's, so, let's go do this. So he was able to, to, to literally judge you based on your intentions. I, it, th this is through an interpreter and what are you saying? And I have no reason to believe that this guy was like making it up, but it was kind of like a, I took it as he, he, he's, you know, he's trying to take what he thought was like the lesser of two evils for him. You know what I mean? I, I guess that would be the way to take it. Sure. And, and, and just sitting there, we talk about perspective, man, that gave me a, but I, I thought of it this way. You know what? If I was 16 years old, 17, 18, 25, right now today, if a country invaded the United States and took over, Right. And they took or were in our cities and they were telling us what to do. What, what would I be doing every day with my friends? Oh, we'd, we'd, we'd be fighting them. Like we'd be fighting them in the streets. We'd be doing whatever we could. So, like, I, I get that. I would do the same thing. I, that would be me. Right. Now, that doesn't mean I'm some, uh, you know, Islamic fundamentalist that did not with this men and this guy. But if, if that's the group that's going to arm me and train me, like maybe maybe I would be fighting for them too. You, you see how that works? So yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're giving you the resources and the and the and the training to stay alive at that point. And so so now I'm in a group that even though I don't really like share their ideological beliefs, I I, 
I get what they're trying to do and I want to help and I want to do my part. I don't have to be all in to be in for some other reason. So it, it, it gave me a really, really good, like I said, kind of, um, I don't know, a, a street tutorial on how the world works um, and shifting alliances and how things aren't black and white and it's not binary and, and, and you got to be able to adapt to that. And, and it was a really, really kind of powerful moment that really hit me later on. I was like, geez, man, like, that, that's uh, that's a, that's a lot to take in at that age. Okay, so you you somehow found yourself uh, once you got out, you found yourself in police work. Um, uh, so I I'm not in law enforcement, but I do a lot of training of law enforcement. So I right. I have worked still for years with the military, even after I got out of the military for the Marine Corps, and then every other branch doing all kinds of stuff. Did some yeah, and I wasn't yeah. real clear on that, but but you found yourself in that world, training in that yep. world. But it, what what's an interesting parallel is you know I was talking to one of our. Uh, uh, good friends of, of carry the load, who is a, a police officer. And I remember him one time telling me what a lot of people don't understand about PTS is that a lot of these guys coming out of the military, they never dealt with their PTS before they jumped right out onto the street. Now they're fighting bad guys again, never okay. dealt with it. At some point they're a rubber band pulled so tight. They're going to snap. Yeah. Did you find yourself in a position where you had to address some of that? I, before you could actually go counsel others yeah in the human behavior side of things absolutely and and so first of all too you know veterans do not have a monopoly on mental health issues um everyone's got them and and that comes in different ways especially with post traumatic stress that could be from anything especially in law enforcement too because they're seeing this stuff every single day day in day out and it's, what happens is the same thing you start to normalize these reactions but what happened with me is I was working on a project with the Marine Corps. Um, I was at a, the, the tactical level of this really, really cool, really big project that I luckily got to be a, kind of a fly on the wall for um, called the Fight JCTD Future Immersive Training Environment, blah, blah, blah. It was a big uh, DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency kind of funded this whole thing. They're doing a lot with training specifically on Camp Pendleton. And there's a training facility there called the Infantry Immersive Trainer. I was there like when it first opened, basically right after one of the first people I got hired as a tactics kind of analyst to bring Marines through training. And they're doing all this testing. And one of the things, because it was originally an idea by General Mattis, even before the war, he wanted a Marine's first firefight to be no worse than his last training evolution. Okay, well, what does that mean? What, 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 how do you do that? So they brought in all the big brain scientists, had behavioral health folks, I mean, just behavioral scientists doing cortisol testing, trying to create realistic training scenarios, uh, do stress inoculation, right? So I'm going to expose you to a certain amount of stress so that physiologically your brain gets a little bit, just like an inoculation, like getting a, getting a flu shot, you get a little bit, okay, I get a little sick, but I don't get really sick when I get the flu, right? It's the same concept of what inoculation is, but for stress. So you know, they had all these folks there and I would be like, kind of like the translator. Like I would run the Marine squad through and then work with the scientists. Cause they were the big brain folks that didn't know how to talk to Marines and the Marines didn't know how to talk to them kind of thing, just cause they're both there for different reasons. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm here to help do scenario development design and, and implement some of this stuff. Right. So I had a good, I was like the conduit there. And, you know, I offline would get to talk to all these really big brain scientist folks. Right. And, and one of them was like, well, well, Brian, like, like, how do you handle all of these experiences you had? I, you know, what is it like for you? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm totally fine. Like, uh, I, yeah, I, sometimes I get like a little upset or angry, but I know, uh, uh, you know, how to deal with it. Like, okay, can you give an example? I was like, yeah, one time I was out with my buddies and we we're at the bar and we we're hanging out, we we're having some drinks, you know, and this guy said something to me and it just like really, really pissed me off. And I just, all I could think about was grabbing him by the back of the head and bashing his face into the bar. I just I could picture it in my mind. That's what I wanted to do. So I knew I was upset. So, you know what? I paid my tab. I went home and just, you know, sat on the couch and, and, and hung out, you know, at, at home. And so this is a group of just behavioral scientists standing there with their mouth open, like, uh, Brian, you are not okay. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, like the guy was being a jerk. And I was like, yes. Um, but your reaction was an overreaction, meaning you don't have to get upset at that. And I was like, what do you mean? Like what he said did not justify your response physiologically in your head, the way you're thinking, you don't have to think like that. And it was like this little light bulb moment where I'm like, Oh, so you're saying 
I'm the problem. Oh, well, why didn't people just tell me that? I can control me. Like, what the hell? And it was just like this kind of this epiphany. Now, it took years to work through that and figure that out and learn everything, train myself how to sleep normally. You know what I mean? What is that like? Have relationships with people outside of the military or who have never been in the military, right? And, but, but that was a big eye open experience that I had. It was just like, man, we, you don't even realize where you're at. And I called it, I was living my life at my front sight post. What that means is I can't see past the front sight post of my rifle. You know what I mean? I got, I'm at bang thinking, I'm thinking about the target right in front of me and that's it. There's nothing else in the world that matters. Now that's a really good mindset in very, very small amount of situations in life, right? You know, especially in combat. Yeah, that, that works. But not being able to take that step back and reset, it's just from that cycle that I was in, it was train, deploy, train, deploy, train, deploy, train. And then I started doing it again when I got out doing security work and stuff. So you're, you're in that loop. You don't ever exercise any tactical patience. You don't ever get to stop, look up and go, hey, what's, what's over that next ridge line over there? Yeah, I know I got this stuff going in front of me, but, but I got to start looking up and out. And part of that's age and emotional maturity and, and life sure. experience. You know, you, you have a lot of that, but that perspective is huge. And, and it's just, once I had that, it was like, oh man, I got some work to do. <laughs> and it's, it took a while. I mean, we all, but we all do. It's a, it's a continuous process. Well, there's a lot, of, a lot of it's just flat out maturity too. Part of it. Yeah, it is. But, but you can, you can gain maturity by, by having those reflective moments, right? <laughs> so your, your experience as a sniper. Okay. So, so now you are with a company called Arcadia Cognorati, I believe is the, mm -hmm. how you pronounce it. Yep. Um, and it's, it's all about you through training, you can modify, alter condition your behavior. Yep. And so, um, did your training as a sniper prepare you for this oh, or yeah. were you, or were you already dispositioned to go down this road? Both. So, so yes, the training did because it's an observation. So what I teach is, is what we call human behavior, pattern recognition and analysis, which is a scientific way of saying something that you've been doing your whole life. Think back to even when you're a little kid, whoever raised you, mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa, aunt and uncle, whoever it was, when they walked in the room before they ever said a word, you knew whether they were happy, whether they're sad, or like in my case, I'm about to get a whooping. So I got to go run and hide for whatever I just did. Right. <laughs> you knew that. So you're reading human behavior. That's human behavior pattern recognition, but we don't actually get any training and analysis. What ends up happening is we get a lot of psychological explanations for things. We get a lot of, you know, Hey, this is what someone's motive was for doing this. And that's all great, but that's all after the fact. What we teach is how to identify pre-event indicators. So I go back to that, that story of the guy that I'm sitting here going, this guy's about to shoot this rifle. There's gunfire going on, but what is it? I'm not picking up any indicators on him. Now in 2007, I didn't have the words to describe what I was seeing, but I knew it when I saw it, but someone else might not. I knew it from experience. So there was so something instinctive there. Yes, but but from my experience, but, but this from experience, of, you get an experience of a bar fight, you know what that looks like, you know, you're in a fight in high school or something, you know what that looks like, you know what anger cues are, I don't have to sit here and tell you, well, the physiological reaction is you're going to get you have these cilia hair like fibers and your hypothalamus will kick off warnings through heat and that'll give you uh, the what's called the histamine cross and I couple that with the activated corrugator muscle, you don't you don't get taught any of that stuff. You don't need, but you yeah, know, it I have no <laughs> idea what you just said. Well, but, but that's, what's actually happening. Mission focus and predatory looks that guy with that AK did not exhibit any mission focus, meaning mission focus is you're walking out of the grocery store and you're trying you're late to pick up your kids and you've got six bags in your hand and you're looking for your car that you don't even see the car coming that almost runs into you. Right. That's mission focus. All right. We get that all the time. Uh, when you're so focused on doing something, you bump into another person or you don't open the door. Right. You're so mission focused. Right. If I couple that with what's called predatory looks, those anger cues, right. I have that furrowed brow it's down. Right. And I start to get upset. My, my, my nasal, my, my nose starts to flare out to bring in more oxygen. Those are predatory looks. If I combine those two things, that's danger. That's the guy walking in to shoot the place up. Uh, that, that's such a strong indicator. I didn't have those words, but I knew what it was. Well, now what I teach people how to do is how to articulate that. So you can be as far left of bang, right. Uh, on that timeline, meaning but I can see these events happen 
before they do because I'm recognizing the pre-event indicators and I'm acting on those versus waiting for this to happen. Because this guy is a perfect example that I brought up was just, you know, I, I never got those danger cues from him. So I didn't feel like I needed to kill him. Now, had I seen that and that weapon came up, well, that's different, right? Then I could have killed him right then at that point because I saw that. But but at least I would have words to identify what I saw. So I'm a better witness. I know how to articulate it. And, and this is why we get so much into law enforcement, because so much of these situations that you see played out on the news, it's the worst analysis. The folks, the talking heads in the news are horrible at analyzing this stuff. It's all junk. And then even the people on YouTube talking about tactics stuff, you're like, stop, stop. You're going, you're starting at bang. Look at all of these things that occurred beforehand. We can identify those things there so we can mitigate the event. That's what I get to do now for a living, which is, which is really cool. So the sniper experience obviously added to it and, and by, and, and I had a, a natural ability. And then on top of that, a lot of training and education. I mean, I've been, been, been doing this for a little while. So it's, it's, it's been a long time of, of a lot of study, independent study, um, get a, a master's in applied psychology as well. So like, it's, it's really been my thing, but all of those experiences really, really kind of informed where I was going in life with this. So I, I was going to call it like, you know, a sexier way of saying psychology, but it's far more than that because, it's, because it, it's not just how people think, but it's how they, what they're thinking, how they translate it into their physiological reflection. Is that? Yeah, no, that's a, that's, that's great. And, and cause that, no, that's a good way to describe I'm trying it. to sound no, smart, no, no. Brian, but <laughs> every now and then I, you know, I might come, you know, no, it's an, it's an, it's an intuitive skill set. but what we focus on Todd is, is what is your intent? Because that's really what matters. So my example of this guy that I almost killed, what was his intent? Well, his intent was to shoot an AK in the air to celebrate a soccer game. It wasn't to kill anyone. So I don't care what his motive was. I don't care what group he belongs to. I don't care what religion it is human behavior is universal. So if I focus, and this works for social media, you know, I mean, you're reading through someone's post or you're listening to someone's message or whatever it is, what is their intent? Because they could say the most awful, awful, terrible things about people and this, that, and the other thing. But if they're never going to leave their mom's basement, then they're not really a problem. And in fact, we have the freedom to say all that stuff in the United States. And that's a good thing. I want those freedoms. I want that person to be able to say that. I don't agree with it, but, but I always try to establish what is this person's intent. And if I look for that, I'm less likely to do what? I'm less likely to apply my own worldview on this other person, right? I'm, I'm less likely to say, oh, that sniper's a thousand yards away because that's what I would do, right? I just go, what is this person's intent? What are they trying to do right here? And, and they'll de all humans demonstrate that intent with their behavior, with what they say and how they say it and what they're going to do. Man, that's, that, that is interesting. And so you've, but it's not just in assessing a threat as far as, nope. you know, I have to defend myself. It goes far deeper than that. And I know you've worked with uh, with a lot of our, carry the load uh, mm -hmm. relay uh, team as far as really teaching them situation awareness and, yep. and about in about, you know, 90 seconds, can you explain how, I mean, what, you know, we use situation awareness a lot. It's embedded in our, in our vocabulary and our mental makeup. What is situation awareness to the average civilian? So the idea is, is there's situation awareness and there's situational awareness. So situation awareness, I'm aware of my situation. I know what's going on. Situational means it's kind of like the next step. But the idea is, you know, it's great to be aware of your surroundings and you're looking around going, okay, this person's doing that. This person's doing that. But, but so what? I mean, what, what are you going to do with that information? That's where we come into play is we teach advanced critical thinking. What's likely going to happen next? What is that person likely going to do? If you think that that person is going to do something harmful, what are you likely going to see next? And if you don't see that next, then, then maybe they're not doing something harmful. So I have to look at is what's the most likely course of action that's being happen happening here? What's the most dangerous course of action? And then I gather artifacts and evidence to prove either one and see which way it goes. So the idea is, is human attention is, is finite, right? We only attend to so much in our environment. Your brain's operating at 100%. Here's the thing. 
it can only do one thing at 100%. So the second you're driving and then now changing the radio station and talking on the phone, that 100% gets divided between those three tasks. So when people who say like, oh, I'm really good at multitasking. Nope, don't listen to those people. They're horrible at it. No one is good at multitasking. In fact, they've done studies and taken people and said, hey, who's really good at multitasking? And that group raises their hand and says, we are. And then the other group says, oh, we suck at it. And they put them through a bunch of tests. Guess who do better on multitasking tests? The people go, look, I suck at it because they focus on one thing at a time. And that's all your brain is wired to do. So attention and attending to things in your environment, that's what situational awareness is. So simple things for people is we're so hooked on our phone because it's, it's developed by brilliant, brilliant neuroscientists and social psychologists who know you inside and out. And it's, it's, it's you, you're so fixated on it. You've created these, these habits, these human behavior patterns, right. That have created a habit. That's what a habit is. It's a human behavior pattern. So if we can just, just set those down and take a look around every once in a while, you're going to see a whole lot more. So there, there's a lot to get into with it, but, but just, it's just, what do I want to attend to, you know, to, to my environment right now? What do I want to pay attention to? Man, I, I honestly, we, um, we could probably spend another two hours talking. I mean, I'm, I'm just an inquisitive guy by nature. Yeah, and I've fire got fire these, away. I've, I've got some time. So I've got all these questions that, that, you know, I just, I, I want to ask and, and, you know, unfortunately we got to wrap it up at some point because you have to go get a haircut. <laughs> I do. I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife would be very happy too tonight when I come back with that. That's just my surprise for her tonight. Oh, I can see your face. So <laughs> Well, I've, I've got some, you know, I've got some ideas on, uh, on, on how we might be able to uh, talk a little bit more and get some good stuff out. Cause you, you have a great perspective on things and, and I, you know, I really, really appreciate, you know, how much, uh, how open you are with this information. I don't even think we got to several of the stories that, that you had in mind, uh, when we started talking. So, um, you know, I hope you will uh, agree to join us again at some point, but one of the things that we, that we always like to do I always want to know about who you're carrying, you know, to this day, because carry the load, obviously we've talked about it. It's all about making sure that we do Memorial day better. And the way we do that is by honoring those who are no longer with us and making sure that their memory stays fresh. So who, who are you carrying? So the, this year, in fact, I've been, I've been carrying a uh, uh, blue was his call sign. Tyler Buse uh, was a reconnaissance Marine who ultimately fell victim to um, his struggles that he, he could not deal with. And um, he was an amazing person and he was a great Marine. I didn't know him in the Marine Corps. I knew him afterwards. We'd worked together and just a loving father and who was struggling with stuff and, and no one knew. And well, people close to him knew, but didn't know it was that bad. And, and this is why I tell veterans to, you know, we, have to take care of each other and we have to be good to each other and we have to reach out. It's not just the posting on social media and saying, um, you know, Hey, if anyone needs anything, here's my number. Um, one thing Todd, I'd like to share with you that I, I try to do is the beauty about like Facebook and some of these social me media apps is that it tells you when it's someone's birthday. So if I know that person pops up, Hey, it's so-and-so's birthday. If they're a veteran, um, I, I text them or call them, but usually it's just a lengthy kind of text. And I say, Hey, look, I just want to let you know one happy birthday, but two, you know, this is why I appreciate you. You know, this is what you're doing. That's good in the world. And, and it could be one little thing. Hey, I noticed that you love posting photos of you and your kids. I know you went through a rough divorce, but man, those kids really love you. And I can tell that in that photo, you don't know how powerful that is. That literally could stop someone from killing themselves. And I think we need to do more of that now. Um, certainly if we're veterans, you're, you're, you're not deploying anymore. You're not in the military. So let's, let's take care of each other then. I mean, that, that should be our focus. It should go from that we're fighting to now we're, we're healing and we're, we're building, we're building a community. Like just like carry the load is doing man. the beauty of the whole concept of carry the load, right? Todd, you know what? There's some things you're better at me. Uh, you're better than me at, and you know what? So when it comes to those things, you're going to have to help me out. There's some things I'm better than you at. And when it comes to those things, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help carry your load. And if we just take that and, and really, really apply it as much as we can, I, I, I think we're, we're going we're gonna to help the veteran suicide situation. And, and I know we're going to help each other out and be, become a stronger nation and community for it. 
Thanks, man. I appreciate you sharing that about blue and, uh, you know, everything you said is, is spot on, uh, Brian, this has been a fantastic uh, time with you. I, I don't care if anybody watched this just, I mean, honestly, you know, I, I came away a hell of a lot smarter, you know, you, you gave me a lot to think about. So thank you very much for, for being with us. And, um, you know, I, ironically, uh, our next episode is with a, uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Matt Thomas and uh, Matt Thomas served with uh, first Cav, um, works with one of our nonprofit partners uh, farm. And he's going to be talking to us on uh, Tuesday, October the 19th about, uh, about transitioning and some of the challenges yep. that uh, you know, that you just mentioned. So that's great. Uh, and top one, I appreciate you for having me on. And that's a big one too. I hope folks listen to anything that transition is way bigger than people realize. You don't even realize it. It takes you years. You're you're still like, what? No, I'm I'm fine. I transferred out or I transitioned out. It's like, dude, you're still in the same mindset you were then. And and so I I, I hope uh, that's a discussion I get to listen to and watch. Well, I'll invite you to watch that one, and I'll invite you back again to talk. So anytime. Thank you for having me on. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us uh, again. My name is Todd Boating. I'm carrying PFC Corky Grothouse, United States Army of Vietnam era. Who are you carrying?